0: Today we read beautiful words in Isaiah, found in the 12th chapter, as they look forward to a day, a future day for God's people. I will read all six verses now. Of course, your pew Bible is in front of you, maybe you brought your Bible, it will be also on the PowerPoint. You will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say on that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O Royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel." Recently, we were at a local hotel, and we saw a beautiful installment of uh, on the wall behind the front desk. Um, uh, this is it. It's at the Ellen Kanto. It's a work by Japanese artist Yoshitomo Sato called 120 Prayers. What you see are real pine cones cast in hand uh, with bronze, positioned on the wall to appear as if they had dropped from a tree in their natural forest habitat. It's a lovely piece. Of course, Mark Bates had to ask the clerk if there really were 120, to which the kind of disinterested clerk said, I I, I don't know, perhaps. So he counted them and then assured her that there were indeed 120. So you can just know they are 120. (laughs) Now, I thought that this was such a beautiful metaphor for our prayers offer to God. Wherever we are as a sacred act, we let our prayers out and fall as a natural way to express our love for God and trust that they will be given a life of their own. Pine cones aren't just for decoration. Their main function is to keep the seeds in the tree safe. Whether they come from a pine or a fir or a spruce, they each have their own type and size of cone. And each pine cone has seeds that are released when the conditions are right for them to create new life. The seeds are then spread by the wind where new saplings sprout out. Now, think about our prayers released to ensure that God's love and life is taken by the Spirit to places where God's presence is needed. Think about how we are the holders of God's sacred words, the words of life that Jesus gives us, which then bear fruit and bring hope as we release them out into the world. Now our text today is a prayer to the Lord, a song of praise in the middle of Isaiah. There are a number of hymns found outside the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. This is one of them. And perhaps this is a song of thanksgiving that the remnant will sing when they return home. Maybe it's meant to be a reminder for people who face the harsh realities of life that God is good and worthy of honor. For certain, these words serve to cement the faith of those who trust in God so that no matter what happens to them, there's a familiar song given that they can sing. When there's little good to be found or experienced, we remember the times that God saved us and brought deliverance. The idea of remembering is fundamental to God's people. It's fundamental to how we survive. This psalm is an example of what that looks like, both individually and corporately, how to hold on to the hope that God offers us. As we read this, let's remember how many different literary genres there are in the Bible. This, of course, is poetry. Isaiah, who has great influence with Yahweh in the people, is communicating God's truth because God loves the people. Isaiah loves the people. Isaiah loves God's covenant. The message is the same as it was for Moses and Abraham and Esther and Jesus and Paul. Put your trust in the Lord with all you are. Put your entire existence in God's hands because in him there is life and mercy, the opportunity to serve, to serve God for eternity. In Isaiah, we have seen how the language goes back and forth between narrative and poetry. Professor James Kugel calls poetry the strangifying, I think he made that word up, the strangifying of regular language. Isn't that a good way to express what poetry is? Poetry is the art form that's meant to open our minds to hearing an idea or a message in a different way. Listen to what Mary Oliver says about this subject. Poetry is a life-cherishing force, for poems are not words after all, but fires for the cold, ropes let down to the lost, something as necessary as bread in the pockets of the hungry. Poetry brings thoughts that come to mind from a direction we didn't anticipate. And all of a sudden, we have, we have these truths and, and feelings that penetrate our souls in unexpected ways. Now, Hebrew poetry, which makes up about one-third of the Old Testament, is very common in the Prophets. It's different than English poetry, which comes from the Greek and Latin. It's mostly sound-based. Hebrew poetry is thought-based, and it utilizes a lot of balanced, parallel lines. It has many of the same elements that we're used to except that there isn't as much rhyme. And even if there were, would we understand it? Because we don't read Hebrew, most of us. But it's a compact, mostly based on repetition, that's turned around and around and twisted until the message that you are reading becomes clearer and clearer and gets lodged in your heart. They use a lot of images. We'll see some images today from Isaiah. This poem is best broken up into two pieces, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 4 through 6. And each part begins with the same words. You will say, on that day. Now, on that day is in the future. And it's used over 200 times in the Hebrew Scriptures and very frequently in this book. In, on that day in Isaiah usually means judgment. But here it is a celebration. The people who have come through a long siege and it is over. And these words are meant to instill in the reader the necessity of praise to God, especially after a tumultuous time. Now, the commentator Alec uh, Modier notices that this song is an interesting composition. It's a prediction in the prophetic voice, and it first addresses an individual male, in verses one and two, and and puts words in his mouth of testimony. And then the song turns to the community, describing the enjoyment of salvation and indicating what the community says to one another about salvation. And at the end, the prayer returns to a female individual who is commanded to exult in the presence of the Holy One. And this going back and forth between the individual and the communal in various voices is how our lives are lived out. So these words are reflective of both how we need alone time of examination and introspection by ourselves, but also how we need the vast community of faith as we worship the Lord. So we're going to look at these two sections, these two pieces, um, and see how our souls are touched. Pay attention to how your soul responds to some of these words as we talk about them. First verses 1-3-3. On the day of homecoming, Isaiah reports how a person will give thanks because the Lord has been angry, and that anger is now gone. It's replaced with comfort. And I wonder how it is for you to think about God's anger It seems to me that some of us are greatly afraid of God's wrath when we think that the Lord is perpetually mad at us. Others reject the idea of God's anger at all. Yet here Isaiah, the messenger of Yahweh, is saying how a person will know when God is angry. A person will know when God's anger is no longer directed at them. Chapter 10, Yahweh says this himself. He says, soon my anger will be dissipated and will be directed towards the nations who overpowered Judah. Jesus expresses anger. God gets angry, we know this. And we might think about when those times are, when scripture teaches us when those times are. God is not tolerant of prideful hearts. He gets angry when people injure those deliberately. He doesn't abide unjust actions, especially those that are couched in false righteousness. God speaks woe to those who harm children and those whose sole focus is their own gain while people are struggling around them. God has righteous indignation for those who have influence and use it for evil. And all of these instances are when people are working out their own agenda, trying to build their own future, their own kingdom, instead of his, instead of honoring the Almighty with their hearts or their words or their actions, when they ignore him. They work against him. Isaiah here is speaking for a man who felt that God was angry because of his actions, But then look at what it says. This man experienced the wrath of the Lord, but then knew when the wrath of God was turned away. And we wonder how much this had to do with his own heart, his own repentance, his own understanding of who he was in God's bigger picture. Because then, he says, then I knew the comfort of God. In the original language, this refers to a person who has had a severe spiritual or heavy burden, has lived under the weight of that burden for a while, and comfort means that God has removed it, that the pressure of that burden has been gone, causing the distress to be removed. Literally, they can breathe again. This is comfort, God has saved that person. And Isaiah then gives four characteristics of those who have received salvation from God. And as I read them, I want you to think about them. Here is what the man says. Surely God is my salvation. And because of that, he says, I will trust. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my might. man is able to breathe freely and this is what he knows to be true and it doesn't matter if he knew it to be true before it doesn't matter if this is the first time that this truth is coming over him God has saved him and this is the outpouring of his praise so let's just focus on one of these for a minute let's focus on what it means that the Lord is our strength this is a common refrain in Scripture. And we are told continually to rely on the power of God, that we are frail. And then the Lord builds us up in our weakness. In this context, we remember Judah had looked to other nations to save them. Even when God actively pursued them, offering help, they turned away. And then they paid for it. Because they relied on the strength of another neighbor who was bigger. And that neighbor abused them. But it was a strength that they so had wanted to have. They thought it was such a good idea. We value our independence, we value our autonomy, making our own decisions, but our resources only go so far. We need the strength of the Lord. Psalm 27, David says, God is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? to those of you this morning who are strong and don't want to rely on the Lord, to those of you here this morning who are weak and are wary of God's strength, I pray that we would all be able to continue to receive the incredible power that God wants to give us. But that's only possible when our hands are open, when our lives are open to who God is. The strength is what gets us through our most terrible seasons and what we celebrate when our burdens are lifted. Verse 3 is a beautiful picture. Isaiah says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We think about how water is such a metaphor for the saving grace God brings. Moses is able to part the Red Sea and to bring water from a stone when the people are parched. Water cleanses us in baptism and serves to rid the world of evil with Noah. In Revelation, the angel shows John the water of the river of life flowing from the throne of God. Do you know that water is mentioned more in the Bible than love, faith, or hope, or prayer? Water. Jesus tells the woman at the well, but everyone who drinks what she draws out are going to be thirsty again. But the water he gives will become inside of them, in them, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus tells her, no one ever needs thirst again. No wonder she ran and told her neighbors, could this be the Messiah? Jesus knows how parched we are for meaning, how thirsty we are for truth and a love that makes a difference, and the opportunity to trade our shame for the things that weigh us down for a lifetime of freedom. Isaiah says, It is with joy that we draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy. May the water Jesus gives always be what we use to quench our deepest, deepest longings and needs that we have in life. What we're reading here is inner transformation. Those who are saved grow in trust, grow in peace, grow in reliance and faith in God's strength. Those whom God saves are people of joy. This is a good passage for us to examine our lives and how it is that we are growing in our faith. We turn now to verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. Now remember that these words now are meant for the community. Together, the people are meant to give thanks by calling on the name of God. In corporate worship, as we've done this morning, God is praised. We call on God's name. We give testimony of his incredible deeds among the nations. It is the Lord Almighty who is exalted, not we ourselves. And we join with all of creation, with all the inhabitants of heaven and earth, with all those around the globe singing aloud for the magnificent things God has done. I love that these are words for what the community continues to tell one another. This is an invitation for us to keep telling one another in the church. Give thanks to God. Let us call on God's name together. Let us tell everyone we know all of the ways that Jesus has met us. Let us proclaim how the name of the Lord should be high and lifted up. Are you going through a hard time? Remember how good the Lord is. That's what we're meant to do and to be for one another. We're meant to remind one another, to pray with one another, to say, you're not alone. I am with you. God is with us. God is glorious. It's sacred to come together. That's why Jesus says it only has to be two or three of you just to come together and to remind one another who I am, that I am there in your midst. I'm going to help you. This isn't straight from ourselves. This is God reminding us and giving us words and language and praise. It's a beautiful, astounding, supernatural thing that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. It's amazing. Isaiah says, Keep allowing God's glorious acts to be known in all the earth, no matter what you're going through. Verse 6 is reminiscent of Miriam's song, After the Red Sea Has Parted, Moses' Sister and a Prophet. This is a song of victory for the people of God. Look at what verse 6 says in the feminine voice. Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. God is honored and fully present to receive honor and praise being given to him. Here we see poetic repetition as we read it. It comes to mind other scripture truths that we know, and that forms who we are. This is formational language for us as God's people that we praise and honor and thank God. This is how we're able to connect with other believers from various parts of the world or different ages or stages of the faith because we find common ground in the Spirit. Not only do we know what God's Word says, we have felt God's Spirit working among us, giving us salvation, spurring us on to love and good deeds, ministering to our hearts and minds. We have known God's great salvation. Scripture reminds us God is with us and God is holy. Isaiah emphasizes the Lord's holiness. God is completely other than us. God's holiness is expressed in moral purity and perfect love and unerring acts of good for everyone to redeem everything, everything that we experience. Yahweh is the holy one. In the middle of tough situations, or as we anticipate tough ones coming, we need to keep singing the songs that we know. The songs that remind us of God's goodness and might and holiness and ultimate triumph over everything that is wrong on earth. When life is threatened or lost or unfair, or uncertain, or traumatic. Scripture tells us, keep singing the praises of the Lord. These people are going into exile. Isaiah needs them to know God will not leave you, or abandon you, or forsake you. And when you come out of that, your song is going to be even greater than it is today. Remember, remember, Isaiah says, one day, You'll be fully immersed in thanksgiving. This is not that day, but one day you will. So anchor your reality now in the Lord. Sing praise to him now who has saved you before, who will save you again, who will save you in the middle of trouble, and again, and again. Because the prayer seeds of life are all around us, blowing around and taking root and growing strong, strong trees with deep soil into the one who saves us. And this prayer continues to be alive and bless us, standing as a tall tree, sustaining our faith throughout the generations. So if this is your song today, amen. Let us give Jesus praise and thanks and honor him for the ways that he has met us and saved us and given us favor. And let us repeat what we know firsthand to be true. If you are here this morning and you are needing the comfort of the Lord or the strength of God. Or if you need to know for the first time or again the joy of God's salvation, may that be your prayer. Talk to the Lord this morning. We're going to have a time of prayer. Come to the altar. Lay down your burdens. Plead with the Spirit. God ministers to those who seek him fully. And may the seeds of our prayers go out from this place to bless the world in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, You can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.